Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. This past Wednesday evening, we had Dave Tucker's memorial service here at the church. Some of you all were there, uh, so you remember that as part of the celebration, we sang a few of Dave's uh, favorite hymns. Uh, all of these hymns would be of the older variety, I suppose you would say, but Dave was 97 years old, so his favorite hymns were bound to be a little bit older. But one of the hymns we sang was the, the great, the old rugged cross. And if you've been around church for a long time, you would be familiar with this great hymn. Uh, The second stanza has these words about the cross. It says this, Oh, that old rugged cross, so despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction to me. Have you ever thought about the unique combination that the cross has for us? It's despised. And it's loved. It's despised by the world, yet for followers of Jesus, we are wondrously attracted to it. Today's sermon is about the cross of Jesus Christ. And how this physical picture redefines our entire existence. And the reality that the message of Jesus dying for our sins leaves people with one of only two responses. The cross is at the both time despised by the world and wondrously attractive to us. I hope we'll see this morning that this is the ultimate division in our world. It really is. It's how we view sin and God's love of sinners. The cross separates people. And this separation is not based on any of the political nonsense of our time or income or opinions on vaccination. All of that stuff is important. But the true division of our world is based on sin's effect and God's commitment to sinners. And this division is not just a cute little disagreement, but rather it redefines our very lives. I hope and pray that we'll find this morning that our ultimate joy exists when the message of the cross becomes the theme of our life. So let me briefly put this into context. We are at the end of Paul's letter. Uh, The theme up to now and continuing today is that you are free in Christ. You are a liberated person, free from the penalty of sin and shame and all that comes with living in this fallen world. Now, God the Father looks upon us And he sees the righteousness of his son. The sacrifice made on the cross, when he looks at us, he is well pleased with us because he's well pleased with with his son. 
He sees us as his children. The consequences of our sin were put on Jesus on the cross, and now our identity is found in him. This freedom even reveals that God's spirit lives inside of us. Just as our assurance of pardon this morning, Jesus is alive inside of us today. So you put all of this reality together, and still that we live inside of a sinful world, what that reveals about us this morning is that we are a peculiar group of people. I don't mean that we are strange or weird in that context, but rather as followers of Christ, we look at this world through an entirely different set of eyes. We have a different set of expectations, a different set of hopes, of plans, of purposes for our lives, for our wealth, for our families, etc. We're different. We're set apart. We're a peculiar group. Well, I hope and pray that we'll see this morning. Our value in Christ defines our joy, and he will be our everything. All right, for us to see that the cross is the theme of our life, I want to highlight two points from the passage. First, recognize the ongoing opposition to the cross. And then secondly, again, recognize the ongoing beauty of the cross. Yes, there's an opposition to the cross, and it's real. And secondly, the beauty of the cross fuels us as we follow Jesus. First, let's notice the opposition of the cross. Look back at verse 11. I love this picture. Paul is giving one last personal plea by essentially shouting and writing that he has written these words with his own hand. It's essentially the John Hancock of the New Testament. See how large the handwriting is. His point was to ensure that these Christians who are considering leaving the faith and denying the cross of Christ are making a very, very bad decision. You see, the Christians in that day were being persecuted by these, quote, Judaizers who wanted the believers to practice circumcision and other practices in order to continue in their customs. But we really have to ask, why did these Judaizers care? What was really going on in their heart? What was their real motivation Why would they not just let the Christians be themselves? And verse 12 reveals what's going on. There are two things that enemies of the cross have in their hearts. First, they want to take pride in their own work. And secondly, they don't want to be persecuted. That is, they want to be highly thought of in their culture, and they don't want to have to suffer. And what we see this morning is they can easily become we if we forget about the reality of the cross. Verse 13, we see the enemies of the church actually were not really trying to follow all of the law. That was never their intent. Rather, they were simply trying to convince Christians to leave the church so that their numbers would increase. Essentially to add to their stats so that other people would think highly of them. And in so doing, in verse 12, persecution against them would stop. And honestly, this seems rational because who wants to be persecuted? So here's the problem that Paul had for himself, what he wanted to communicate to the church and to us. It's the same problem that Stephen had, same problem that Luther had, the same problem that Bonhoeffer had, same problem that Macklin Bossy has this morning in Togo. It's the same problem that we will all have throughout our journeys with Christ. The enemies of the cross, the opposition of the cross, will always want us to have Jesus. 
but not his cross. They want us to embrace Jesus as his love for us, but not the extent of what his love required. Now, why does the world hate the cross? Maybe a better way to ask is why has there always been persecution against Christians? Why not just leave us alone? One scholar I read this week said that there are four reasons why persecution will always follow Christians. I think these are important and they're helpful. The first reason that we will always be persecuted is that the cross is offensive. It's offensive to everyone who understands the message. The cross declares that we are sinners. That there is a penalty to sin. A secular world is comfortable accepting that there are problems in the world. But the cross says that we are the problem. And no one wants to hear that. The wages of sin is death. This is deeply personal. This is deeply offensive. Our sin is responsible for Jesus' death. It's not just that things are bad, but sin is real, and we are the sinners. So it's offensive. The second reason persecution will always exist is that the cross is, quote, narrow-minded. Don't we hate to even hear those words and associate it with us? It's strange to even say those words because it sounds so mean. It's everything we hope to avoid. But Jesus could not have been more clear. When he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. See, the secular world loves inclusion. The world loves fairness. And yes, God does open the door that all may believe. But Jesus also says no one comes to him unless the Father draws them. There's only one way to the Father, and it's through the cross, according to Jesus. So the cross is offensive. The cross is narrow-minded. But thirdly, persecution will always exist because the cross reduces us. It reduces us to who we actually are. And who we actually are are simply recipients. You see, inside the kingdom of God, we cannot take credit for anything. In God's love for us, all that we do is to receive his kindness. We have nothing that we can brag upon in ourselves. All we have to brag upon is the person of Christ. See, God does not love you this morning because of your service or your money or your niceness or your kindness. Rather, God loves you this morning because Jesus died for you and his death atoned your sin. There's only one response. And that is to give praise to him for his mercy. That's it. We worship him. There's no ranking of people. We're all guilty. But let's be honest. Don't we all want to get a little bit of credit for something? Don't we all want to feel good about something we've done that someone else could look at us and pat us on the back and brag on us? Of course we all want that. Of course we do. But the cross says no. It's Jesus' blood. Jesus' righteousness. He achieved it all. You receive. The message is you can feel good about yourself this morning because Jesus' death on the cross allows his father to feel good about you. 
fourth reason persecution will always exist is that the message of the cross has obvious consequences inside of your community. See, here's what happens. When people hear what we believe, that God is coming to judge the world for sin and that our only hope is found in what Jesus has done for us on the cross, if they reject the message, then they will either be highly offended at what we believe or they will laugh at us for our archaic beliefs. And it will either be persecution by anger at us or persecution by rejection of us. If their hearts are not turned to Christ, they're going to have an opinion about us. But it will not be a pleasant one because the cross does not allow that as an option. What I think was going on in Paul's heart as he wrote these words and why he's so passionate as he concludes this letter is that he knew the temptation that was inside of those Christians and the exact same temptation that is alive inside of us this morning. And that is, we also desire so desperately to be liked, to be wanted, to be recognized, to be thought of as being important inside of this world. In our weakness, we don't want anyone to think of us as being narrow-minded. We don't want people to think of us as being intellectual or some crazy fundamentalist or something like that. So here is what we are tempted to do. And it's going on in our culture all the time. We believe Jesus, but we are tempted to hide from the full message of the cross because that message is a threat of persecution and we don't want it. So therefore, we're tempted to reduce the message of the cross. And when we do that, we reduce what Jesus is really about. Again, as I prepared for the sermon this week and just did some reading online and whatnot, it, it did dawn on me over the past decade how popular Christian writers and thinkers and conference speakers, etc., have been quick to soften their positions on biblical stances, where a decade or so ago they would have had a very different position. When you read this passage, it's pretty clear what's going on. And that is people don't want to be ridiculed. They don't want to be made fun of. They don't want to be reduced. That is, we don't want to be hated. The result, will talk more of Jesus' love, but not of his holiness. In hopes that the enemies and the opposition of the cross will just leave us alone. Do you see the temptation and how it's real this morning? There's a popular writer, speaker that, um, that, that I respect a lot. Her name is Rosaria Butterfield. Maybe you're familiar with her. She's uh, written several books and does a lot of speaking. If you're not familiar with Rosaria, uh, she was once a tenured professor at Syracuse University uh, where she, her tenured uh, track was queer theory. She was converted to Christ in 1999 and went through a very long journey of growth in Christ and persecution. She wrote an article just a few years ago in response to popular Christianity writers changing their position on gender and sexuality. And she said this about her own life, and I quote, How amazing it would have been to hear that, yes, I can have Jesus and my girlfriend. 
Yes, I can flourish both in my tenured academic discipline and in my church. My emotional vertigo could find normal once again. Maybe I wouldn't need to lose everything to have Jesus. Maybe the gospel would not ruin me while I waited and waited and waited for the Lord to build me back up after he convicted me of my sin and I suffered the consequences. Maybe it would have gone differently for me than it did for Paul and Daniel and David and Jeremiah. Maybe Jesus could save me without afflicting me. Maybe the Lord would give me a respectable cross and a manageable thorn, end quote. You see, the cross is convicting. The cross reveals that we are all in need of Jesus because of the sin of our hearts. It offends because we're sinners. But do you realize the reduction temptation that is real for every single one of us? Just so that we'll be liked, we're willing to compromise. We long for the esteem that this world offers. We all do. I do. We want to be liked. We don't want the consequences. But I urge you to look back at verse 17. And notice what happened to Paul. He says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. See, Paul was wealthy, he was a scholar, he was a leader, and he was influential. As a result of his commitment to Christ, he had wounds on his body. I'm sure some of these were emotional, some of these were psychological, but yes, they were also physical. We can easily become the enemy of the cross because we don't want to suffer its shame. And this temptation is real for every one of us. So we have to ask the question, why would we ever endure persecution? Why would we ever endure marks upon our body? Why would we ever endure shame against us? What would motivate us to continue on? It can only be one thing. Look back at verse 14 and let's see again. The beauty of the cross. Let me reread these words. Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I, to the world. Oh Lord, may we see afresh the riches that are ours in Christ. Notice how Paul looks at the entire world now. He uses an interesting word to explain our existence on earth. He describes his connection to Christ as, quote, his boast. Maybe you think about that word boast as like bragging upon yourself or something like that, but the English doesn't match the Greek here. It's more than just to brag. Your boast is everything about your life. To boast is the one thing in your life that defines all other things. It's what you live for. It's what your life is about. It's how you understand what is good, what is bad, what is success, what is failure. It's everything. It's the umbrella statement over which your entire life exists. And Paul says clearly what defines his life What is its step with the Spirit? What gives joy is that his boast is the cross of Christ. Not just Jesus, but his crucifixion. 
You see, the cross is wonderfully attractive because it shows us the extent of God's love for you. Jesus became one of us. He was punished by his father. He was executed because the law demanded our sins paid, our guilt gone. It's all right here in the cross. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or on heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. You know, I hope you notice here in the sanctuary, when you look around, the location of the cross is not an accident. It overlooks everything else. As you sit there, as we have a communion table, as we have the scripture read, the pulpit, Robert's in my chairs, communion tables on both sides, the cross oversees it all. That means it's all pointing to the cross. I've heard it said this way. It's fine if you sleep through the sermon. No problem. As long as you looked at the cross and remembered the message, well, that's what the sermon was about. Everything points to the cross. It's all right here. See the beauty of the cross. Verse 14 is so rich. Paul mentions here not just one crucifixion, but three. The cross, yes, is where Jesus died for sin. But this also leads us to see that the crucifixion of the whole world exists. That is, now the world is crucified to us. And then lastly, the crucifixion of ourselves. We have been crucified to the world. You see, Jesus' crucifixion 2,000 years ago now has present applications for us. Verse 15, we're a whole new creation. We're all new. So see this morning that you are free from the claims of this world. You're free from the anxiety, the worry, the guilt, the shame. You are free to no longer live in the rat race of constant comparing yourself through the lens of others. Your heart is connected to the heart of God by Jesus. So friend, I ask you, what is your real boast this morning? Is it the cross of Jesus? That is where you will find joy. What gives you meaning? How do you define success in life? Is it the cross? Don't be reduced to the approval of your colleagues or your friends the approval of unbelieving family members or popular political opinions of the day. No way, no way, not when you have Christ. You're too special to the Lord to live like that. Look what you have. You have the God who created you so in love with you that he came and died for you. Let his love define this world for you. His love is for you and he rules the world. Stay attached to him. This is the peace which is ours today. It comes from the cross. So let's end the sermon and let's end this series by giving Paul the final words. And may these words be the theme of our lives. Look at verse 18. We'll close with this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen and amen. Let's pray now and ask that the Lord would prepare us to come to his table.
Father, we ask that you would refresh our hearts now. Show us again what it means to be loved by you, O God. Lord, our hearts are deceptive. We are prone to wonder and we are prone to reduce you. I pray by your spirit and even by this meal that you have promised that you would nourish us. Would you do this now, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.